0: The Gist. Innovate. Scale. Succeed. Valentine Jorogia is an investment professional and entrepreneur. She has a global outlook with a business and econ education from Drexel University in Philadelphia and an MBA from Said Business School at University of Oxford. Val began her career in wealth management at Morgan Stanley in New York, She then later moved back to Nairobi, where she also founded Muradi Fund, Kenya's very first equity crowdfunding platform, connecting SMEs to much-needed funding. She served as Projects Director at Centum Investment Company, where she ran a $5 million fund focused on investing in startups and managed special projects within the Centum Group. She's currently the co-founder and CEO of Africa's Pocket, A game-changing wealth management platform that enables Africans to build generational wealth. We couldn't be happier to have Val with us today. Val, welcome, welcome. We're so happy to have you with us today.
1: Thank you. I am so excited to be here. Finally.
0: <laughs> finally, finally, finally. Um. So I guess we'll just start off small. Um. Could you just tell our listeners who you are? Who is Val Jiroge? Oh, is it even still Jiroge? What do you what do you go by? How my name just is just still Val Jiroge. It's still Val Jiroge. Shall be that way for, for the of my life. <laughs> no, no. But if you could please just tell our listeners who you are, a bit a little bit about your background, where you're from, etc.
1: Yeah, sounds good. So whenever I'm asked this question, I start by saying I'm an entrepreneur and I am a daughter, a sister, an investor. And then recently, um, somebody reminded me to say I'm an Oxonian as well, which is how I know you two lovely ladies. Um, hey. <laughs> and I'm an African woman. Um, I was born in Kenya. So that's that's the you know nationality I identify with. But I've always identified more as an African and, and as a woman than, you know, my country's heritage. So that's who I am in a nutshell. Um, If I think about my background, so I am an entrepreneur at heart. Like my whole family comes from lines and lines of entrepreneurs up to my great grandmother. So it was inevitable that this is where I would end up. Um, But I took the path of finance investments because You know, money excites me and money makes the world go round. So I kind of chose a career that helped me understand it more. So I spent some time in investments um, on the wealth management side and on the private equity side. And that brings me to
0: today. Okay. And we're so happy to bring you today so we could have you here. Um, So I guess you come from a family of entrepreneurs. So did you also, did you always know you, you would want to someday start your own venture? Um,
1: yeah, I don't even know if I can say that I knew it. It just kind of was inevitable. Um, when I think about the the things that used to excite me, you know, anything that I would be able to do, I would make little dolls and then try to sell them. I would bake cakes and then try to sell them. So it was just around me so much. Um, the very first time I made money, I think I was 10. Uh, and I stole my mom's eggs from her chicken. She had chicken in the compound. So I took her eggs and I started selling them to neighbors. and it took a while before she realized and she was so mad um but it's kind of always been like that I've always been really interested in figuring out how to make a little bit of money and especially in uh selling like helping people solve a problem by selling something to them uh so yeah I guess I knew that I would start a venture I wouldn't say that you know, I didn't, I I just kind of knew this was going to be an eventuality, if that makes any sense. There's no grand plan or anything like that.
2: Mm. I mean, I guess they're, you know, so do you think entrepreneurs are made or they're born? Because it sounds like you are born. I mean, generations and generations of entrepreneurs, entrepreneurial thinking and um, lifestyle just is in your blood.
1: I don't know. I would say it has to be a mix of both. Um, and maybe it's not the, it's not the entrepreneur in the way we think you have to go and kind of start a business, but that spirit, I think is definitely born. So the idea of problem solving that wanting to be out there selling things and solving problems, that may be a uh, sort of a nature thing, but I do think the skill has to be nurtured. So for me, if I wasn't uh, born into the family that I was born into, maybe out of, gone and done something creative but maybe I wouldn't have had the um courage to actually kind of venture out on my own uh because seeing my parents build businesses and seeing uh you know how difficult it can be at the beginning and and then seeing what the reward could be at the end is kind of what's pushed me to go in this direction Mm. but the interesting thing is that I think it pushed me into entrepreneurship too early so Africa's Pocket is my second venture and for my first one, I was really young. I was 22, starting and then kind of established it when I was 23. There's so many things I didn't know. And the result is that that business didn't take off. So, you know, if, from that perspective, I had to go and learn. I had to go and um, become confident. I had to actually get some experience to be the entrepreneur I am today. So I think it's a little bit of both. At
0: the end of the day, I think it's it's something we kind of, Tati and I talk about, like, a lot, of, obviously, during these... um. Uh, during some of these podcasts really around perhaps you really did need that that failure 22 because I'm sure you've learned so many things from that um some from that path as well right so yeah an intense amount yeah yeah that's good to hear I guess I really so I guess maybe taking it back to sort of Africa's pocket what really inspired this particular venture um, so, I think to understand africa 's pocket, you kind of have
1: to understand um, my background and my career and because it all kind of comes together and culminates in in this venture so um, like i mentioned i 've always been interested in entrepreneurship and money, but more specifically in money so, I went to school and studied economics and found myself in banking and um, I kind of jumped around there. So I was at Morgan Stanley and I did a rotational program. So I jumped around in investment banking, sales and trading and landed in wealth management. And it was kind of mind blowing to me that there's this this career where your job is to literally help rich people manage their money and get you know wealthier. <laughs> it's kind of insane that there are these teams of people who sit on and just think about, OK, this 20 million dollars how do I make it how do I protect it how do I make it more it it was quite mind-blowing to me Mm -hmm. so even when I went back to Nairobi I kind of continued in that field and the thing that stood out to me is that when I went to Nairobi and I was doing wealth management a majority of my clients were expats so there weren't a lot of I didn't have African Mm -hmm. um Clients and even the ones that I could get, you know, it was sort of my parents' friends, a very sort of close network, and it was a small group of people who had kind of, to some extent, gotten lucky and had enough money to need a wealth manager. Um, so that was the first place I was like, hmm, interesting. And then at that point, um, given my parents, so my parents are tech entrepreneurs themselves, and and then I was in the finance side, so there were quite a few people who needed money, and then I still had this network New York so I started to connect people with with funds so I would get um, you know angel investors in in the U.S. and kind of help them find investment opportunities in Africa and that opened up this problem for me of you're needing you're starting a venture or you're growing a venture scaling it and you're having to get money from Europe or from the U.S. or from wherever to be able to actually do something meaningful and of course money has culture so when you get a, an American investor, it dictates how your business is going to be run because they have certain expectations for return and that kind of thing. Mm. So that was the second hmm that, that kind of went off when I was doing um, Muradi Fund. And then the next thing that I did after that was join Centum and we tried to build a corporate venture capital fund. And again, that was really interesting. There were so, we had way more opportunities than capital we could deploy but these businesses were still stuck in how they were scaling. So a lot of them had a very Nairobi mindset or East Africa mindset. And we know what the population numbers look like. You cannot really get to these um, huge valuations that we're seeing now if you're only focusing on one jurisdiction. So the third question I asked myself is, why aren't these businesses scaling? So first was, why aren't there wealthy Africans? Um, which kind of ties into why we have to get money from outside and then third possibly if we were able to get these ventures to actually scale then problem number one would be solved so I kind of became obsessed with this question for why don't businesses scale in Africa and that's what made me go to business school to kind of answer that question and after digging into it a little bit The thing that became super obvious is that even with this few African uh, people whose wealth I was managing, it was kind of a fluke that they got this much money. People don't actually really know how to build wealth. Um, And so you find yourself in this situation where the whole ecosystem is broken because the majority of the way that people do build wealth is by building businesses and in order to build Uh, big businesses you need people to put in money at the beginning so it's this chicken and egg situation so after kind of mapping the system it was was like okay when we have the most skill and where can we kind of um, prove two problems at the same how can we solve two problems at the same time the first is solving a problem that a lot of people have which is financial education and second is getting these people who get the financial education to a place where they can build enough wealth to keep investing in our own economy so you kind of start weaning ourselves off of this foreign aid and so that's how Africa's Pocket was was kind of built that's the basis on which I started to explore this area of um, fintech.
0: So what you're basically saying is you're giving us the blueprint to become millionaires in the next few years is is that what it is? I hope so
1: (laughs) (laughs) you know like with all things we're trying to build a business that goes beyond us so it may take many generations for us to get there but that is what success looks like
2: yeah i mean i think for me um what you've described like in just the genesis like the you know like what does it take to create wealth you know we're not all sitting with a team of bankers that are like literally their job is helping us make money like the Mm -hmm. average the average person um or even if you're starting a business you know your business tends to be subsistence to then just meet your day-to-day needs or if you're working you're like I don't know, you're living for today. We're not thinking generationally. And so where else would you learn? Actually, I can be wealth building, even if I'm just starting a new job. I can be putting, you know, like some of the things that you, you guys are teaching and thinking about. It's a conversation that people, it used to be like you're democratizing the conversation that used to be held by a few, um, which I yeah. love. I think it's so it's so obvious. And yet it's so like, mm-hmm. Why has nobody done this? Um, because we all need it. Like there's, like a, the whole continent needs this in terms of changing yeah. how we think about um, wealth creation, and, and like it's accessible. You, you know, yes, we're not all going to be Elon Musk, um, but I love, I love the 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 your thesis and kind of how you what led you guys to this. Yeah,
1: it's, yes. a, it's a it's a long road, but you're right. It's it's the fact that. This information is there, yeah, but it's disjointed or it's behind a wall where, you know, you need a minimum investment of $10,000 for somebody mm-hmm. to tell you what to do. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, I think Tash speaks uh, passionately about it, actually, because I think this is a conversation Tatina and I have so often, right? Um, especially as, like, young professionals, we we this is a conversation we have all the time. Like, how do we also even build our own wealth um, mm-hmm. and the wealth of people around us and ensure that, you know, there's actually... Uh, a legacy that you sort of leave there, right? And I think I don't know if we've we've cracked it. I, I doubt we've cracked it, but I think it's the fact that we're always in conversation about it at I think it yeah. means it's just something that's really important to both of us
2: as well. Yeah, definitely. And I I mean I guess, I mean Val, like you know, you know, coming off the MBA, you know, you had so many options at your door. Um and you know oftentimes some people we've spoken to are like I've got this great idea, like I've got this burning need, but maybe let me go into a job, make some money, and then I'll start my venture. Like, I mean, was that an easy decision to make at that transition point to be like, actually, you know what, I need to do this now. I can't wait a year, three years, five years until all the blocks are in place. How did you think about that transition? That is it's such a good question. I think I
1: was in turmoil for maybe a year (laughs) um (laughs) my partner and I talked about it for another year it was it was not an easy decision to to make I knew that I wanted to do something so I knew that because the program was one year I knew that I needed to take a year I wanted to take a year after that to explore something Mm -hmm. but I didn't know that I would dive into it full-time um and, you know, there was a part of me that was still like, okay, actually go, go back to work and get your, you know, nice paycheck and be in the survey, kind of lifting the average, you know. <laughs> but,
0: <laughs> oh, there's X for I hope you guys finish. What is the you did for, for this one? <laughs> <laughs>
1: These days, I don't feel it anymore. I'll be bringing down the average. (laughs) Unless I talk about valuation. Now
2: now we know why.
1: Yeah, which valuation is not bad, but salary, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So, so no, it was not an easy decision. But the the way that um, I came to this conclusion was a matter of, okay, so if I go back to work, for me to actually be really good at or to show progress, I need three years. Um, and then I asked myself, what if I use those three years in building this business instead, where could we be? Yeah. And the opportunity cost of not doing the business was too high because I felt as though it's something that I I can see the path to success. I may not know exactly how to get to the end, but I, I can see what sort of Mecca looks like. And I have the skills to do it. I have the background to do it. And I also think at the time when we graduated business school was such a good time from a venture from a venture capital perspective. Being a black woman in Africa going into fintech, literally there was no better combination of things to try and do. So from a risk perspective, it was also de-risked from that from that angle. Um, interestingly, we decided to bootstrap um, for a while, which which I think was a good decision. But still, it would have been much easier to raise funding coming out of a program like the one we went to, being in this, in this kind of um, space where it was Africa is rising, you know, the tech scene was rising, you know, we're based in Nairobi, which is a city that's um, known for technology businesses. So those were the things that kind of made me be like, okay, this is the time to do it. And then, of course, as a woman in uh, trying to build a career, I'm like, at some point, I want to have a family. And this is a, a nice window. <laughs> when i have time i don't have pressure and i can kind of do this and i can experiment and i can take some risks
2: before i have to be thinking about other people yeah that makes that makes so much sense um i guess um you said it right like in hindsight you're like yeah this is the plan this is why i mean it's been three years um but i think <laughs> i think you're right i think you're right though and i think um we were chatting about this before we started recording around like just as of like just being a female, a female in leadership, and like all the choices you're needing to make, but like having this gap um, absolutely makes makes sense, um, and the space to kind of take those risks, but kind of leverage kind of all the blocks that you've got in your hand to to take a jump.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. I also like the idea, but like the fact that the, about the opportunity cost, because I think that's something people. Um, just don't weigh out making this decision. I'm glad to see you thought about it, obviously, obviously. Um, <laughs> maybe just taking sort of a bit of a gear change um, for people who don't actually know what Africa's pocket is. Um, could you just tell us a little bit more of what is Africa's pocket? What is the business model? What do you do and how are you going to revolu- revolutionize uh, all of our lives across Africa? That's crazy that I did not start this by saying that it's terrible
1: CEOing. But,
2: um, <laughs> we also didn't ask you the question right we asked you who is valentine jiroge what you do is secondary but who you are is first so it's okay not your That's true. i like that i like yeah.
1: that you're not you're not what you do um <laughs> but africa's pocket we are a wealth management platform and our goal is to help africans build generational wealth And the way we're doing this is by building a platform where you can learn about money, plan for your money, and then also act on it. So we have online courses that that start your education. So you start by understanding what are the foundational um, steps of building wealth? What does your financial plan need to look like? What does your investment plan need to look like? What are your financial goals? So we help you through that. And then on the platform, we've now built in tools that help you now make these decisions in a very practical way. So let's say that you're planning to put down a deposit on a house in five years. How much do you actually need to put away every single month? Um, What are the investment options out there for you? So if you're earning a certain return, um, what will you end up with in five years? And so what can you afford? So that's kind of what our tools help you visualize. And then the ACT part is an investment platform, which is coming soon. We actually just um, piloted our first investment opportunity. Last week. So, what we'd like to do here is is kind of curate um, opportunities that people can participate in, and the hope is that we're able to do this in a, with a Pan African lens. So, eventually, we have something that looks like an Africa Index Fund that people can just buy into if they want to invest on the continent. Um, and this is really with the diaspora in mind as well, thinking about what does it mean to live outside of home but want to retire back on the continent and how can you kind of start planning for that so uh, yeah eventually what I'd love to see is that people come to us with no idea how to do anything including budgeting and at the end they have a portfolio that they can look at and track and understand what they're worth and understand how to pay off their debts and understand how to achieve the goals they want to achieve
0: I love everything about that like from beginning to end I can't (laughs) even like pick up like Certain things that I, I I I like I'm like I'm, I'm better than others I'm like every single thing. <laughs> um, so I guess maybe who who would be t- your typical customer? Um, age, sort of sex. Mm-hmm. Do you still call it sex? But yeah, who is <laughs> Gender, gender, yes, gender, age. Um, um, where are, where are you in your life to need an Africa's pocket?
2: That's a so
1: so when when we when we like started ideating this we're like oh this is gonna be for like people who are just entering the workforce and you know you've just started earning money and so you're like ready to make a plan, but what we've seen is that um, a majority of our customers are sort of in their mid, uh, I'd say early to mid thirties. So you find that actually the trigger is less age and more a transition point in life. Okay. So you'll find either the person has decided to leave their parents' home or they're getting married or they're having a child or they're thinking about buying a house or going to business school. So when you're making these big life decisions is when people tend to come to us Um, because most of the time money seems so like such a faraway problem. It seems like a problem for much later. But when you have a decision right in front of you is when people tend to wake up and be like, okay, let me figure this thing out. Um. Interestingly, we have about 70% of our customers are women, which I've always found really interesting. Um, I don't know if it's because the men don't want to say they have a problem or need help <laughs> <laughs> or that there are more women or that they, I don't know. I don't know why we have more women, but we do. Um, and then recently we have started seeing a lot of uh, women specifically going into retirement kind of coming to work with us because... Uh, Uh, something that I'm starting to realize is that a lot of women uh, survive their husbands and when you're getting to that retirement age you realize you don't really know much about what how your family finances run or uh, some of them are widowed and so we're kind of helping them through that transition of okay you're going to stop working soon how can you make sure that your lifestyle doesn't have to change and uh, where are they we actually have customers across 30 countries which is crazy um, a lot of them are East Africans living abroad, uh, but we have started to see, you know, other nationalities come up as well, uh, which is a, which is very exciting and super excited to keep building products that are relevant to everybody.
2: What you're solving for is so universal that um, it's different from like I don't know something in agriculture or logistics. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it's 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 nice to hear like we're not tailing the message guys like the thesis is absolutely the same it doesn't matter where you are like fundamentally the tools apply yeah it's
1: interesting there's a lot of people who usually ask me you know why did you decide to call it Africa's pocket you know you could you could teach this stuff to everyone around the world Mm -hmm. but there was intention around um, making it specific for Africans um, making it Um, Even to some extent, you know, we started specific to Kenyans, right? Mm -hmm. Because focus is important in entrepreneurship. It's something that a lot of people, it's very easy to like be stuck in shiny syndrome. But the truth is, that's what I understand. That's where my career was built. And so, you know, maybe one day we'll have a global pocket, who knows. But I think it's (laughs) important to remember the root and why we exist, right? It's It's to help our economies at home. And so it's important that we have that focus and that almost discrimination to the African context.
0: No, I get that. It makes perfect sense. I guess maybe, I guess you kind of touched on this already, but really currently, what are your growth and scaling ambitions? So where do I see the company going? Um, For me, it would be amazing
1: to actually have um, portfolios that are meaningfully made up of African companies and both in the public market and in the private market. Uh, so you see what Future Africa is doing with making venture capital investments accessible and not, su- you know, they're, they're allowing you to get in at smaller amounts so it's not super risky. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I would want to make accessible, you know, across the board and at scale using technology. That would be amazing. Um, another thing that would be really amazing is, so right now, if you're trying to make, an investment in any capital market in Africa, it is a pain. Like to buy a bond in Kenya, you physically have to show up at the central bank,
0: which is ridiculous. You have to
1: physically be there. And there's an officer who has to see you sign the paper in person in 2021. In 2021, this is what you must do to invest in government bonds. Wow. Wow. So, you know, we're coming from so far. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So being able to just see people, you know, kind of, you know, open up their phone, put in stuff, do KYC online and be able to participate in our financial markets would be a big step forward. Um, and then kind of breaking the borders around that. So being able to, as a Kenyan, for example, be able to buy bonds in South Africa or Nigeria um, and vice versa. That would be the
0: dream.
2: I love the super dream. commendable. You know, you talked about um, just hiring just talent, um, and I guess the question is, you know, being remote, how do you find those those people? I think in one of our conversations, somebody called them the crazy ones. Um, you know, to come <laughs> along this 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 journey with you. You know, um, like earlier stage in a business's cycle and leave the big established named environment i mean like how, mm-hmm. how are you going about that like because yeah i mean i'm sure not everybody says yes um maybe not everybody would yeah. say yes but yeah just how so, did you go about that or how are you thinking about that that process
1: yeah it's been it's been quite a shift actually because I, you know i really had to change my mindset to seeing um everyone who comes on early regardless of how experienced they are as a partner in this business Because it's not possible without the, especially like the first 15, 20 people, they're like, it's like a small family, right? So that's the approach that I've started taking. And I'm really trying to be empathetic in these situations and understand that, yes, I'm asking you to leave this cushy job, but I'm also um, seeing this as an obligation, as a responsibility I have to make the business work. And I've spent time de-risking it, so we're at a point where we have consistent revenue. Um, we're at a point where the vision is very clear. We have customers, we have partners. You know, there's a lot of things that we've put into place so that somebody's not just kind of jumping into um, a black hole. There is some structure, there is some direction, and uh, that shift to kind of be like, I'm not giving someone a job. Um, I'm, I'm having this person kind of come and join me on my vision. And, and this vision needs to be our vision. So also giving myself room to co-create the future of the company with, with especially the senior people who come and join us. So it's been a journey. So what I do now is every single week, actually, I spend time uh, messaging people on LinkedIn, uh, through my networks, meeting people here and there. It's like I'm consistently dating for there's a couple of (laughs) roles that I need to fill in the next uh, few months and so I'm literally treating it like I'm looking for a husband really and kind of you know scouting. Uh, I know you did
0: well there so
1: (laughs) yeah I have a list you know I know where my little fishing holes are and things like that um I'm so glad that this is happening now because the remote aspect is not so um it's not such a big deal anymore. People are hiring remote all the time. People are joining teams that are far away. But definitely for the key hires, one of the commitments I've made is that I'll actually make sure we sit in a room together before we agree to work together. Um, so that's an investment we've agreed to make. It's a commitment that I've made. And, you know, really, at the end of the day, it's, it's so clear that at this stage we're at, because we've been doing this for two years now, you kind of can see you have some predictability in revenue, the next group of people who join us um, will take us to that next level. So it's useful to see people like that as well. Um, and it's definitely something I didn't have at the beginning. And it's a, it's been a big shift in how
0: I think about recruitment. Um, Val, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you this, right? Because you're unfortunately only our second female um, guest on the show, but mm-hmm. really... What's kind of been your journey as not just a leader, but a female leader? What are the things you've sort of learned along the way as a female leader? What are the things that you've had to, I guess you've never not been a female leader, but what are the things you think female leaders tend to have to adjust in their approach and the way they sort of, um, they go about their daily life as a CEO of this amazing new startup? And I think one of the things, mm -hmm.
2: sorry, and I I think linked to that is like, you know, is there community? I mean, there isn't a lot, but how have you gone about finding community and what does community mean as a female leader? Mm. That's a great question. Um, let me start with the first
1: one. What, what have I had to... Like, what is it like being a female leader? So... Like you said, I, I don't know anything else. But when I um, see, you know, men around me and and kind of what they're able to do that I'm not able to do, I'm kind of like, hmm, okay. So that's a thing I have to kind of suck up, <laughs> or I have to adjust. So the first thing I think that I've leaned into is the fact that I am female, because a lot of female leaders want to have male energy, and it's kind of natural because you're taught that that's what works so you're taught to be aggressive be you know um very quick with your decisions be hard on people when you need to be hard on people and things like that but I've also found that leaning into my feminine energy if that's a thing has been so effective so kind of bringing the empathy forward um and while being assertive doing it in uh Soft is not the right word, but kind of trusting your intuition when it comes to when are you assertive versus when are you more empathetic in a situation. That has been very effective, like has, has worked really, really well for me. Is just kind of leaning into, into these things that are naturally, that I have that are natural, like intuition. I actually say my intuition is my superpower. And whenever I mistrust my gut, something happens.
0: <laughs> so
1: mm-hmm. um, kind of, yeah, marrying the two, analytics plus intuition for example, Um, I think I've also had to accept that sometimes you do need a man in the room. The industry that I'm in, investment management, asset management is an old boys club. And sometimes to get in the door, you need sort of a man to open the door for you. And something that my mom has always told me is that she's always had a chairman who trusts her a lot and is well-respected in her field. And it may seem, you know, it's one of those pieces of advice that in the beginning, I was like, "Mm, I don't know, must we lean on a man? Like, is is this the answer really? (laughs) Like, why can't we do it ourselves? (laughs) But you have to choose which battles to fight, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so um, for me, I'm like, okay, with, in some situations, yes, I'll fight, I'll fight for us to have a seat on the table, but sometimes you just need that door to be opened quickly. Um, yeah. and, and so kind of being accepting of there are times when you're going to have to do that and that's okay. And, and it's for a greater good because eventually I will be the person whose door needs to be opened and it will be better if there's a woman there. Um, in terms of community, Um, it has been challenging, I won't lie. So I remember there's somebody who told me, uh, there's another company that's doing something similar to us. And uh, that other company also has a female co-founder. And both of us were applying to the same accelerator. And someone went like, "Ah, you shouldn't even bother because there's no way they're going to take two women in fintech. And I'm like, ooh. And the thing is, it's probably true. Right. So it's an interesting space. And I think as the women in fintech, we have an opportunity really to decide whether we want to be a community or kind of see each other's competition.
0: Mm. The
1: approach I take is that if I ever see anybody doing anything in my field or even just in tech, generally a woman, I'll reach out. I'll be like, let's have a call. Let's get to know each other. Let's have lunch. Um, Some agree, some don't. And so uh, the community is there, but it does take, I think, a little bit more work to build that trust between female founders, uh, which is fine. Uh, And I think what we need to do is just decide uh, to kind of make it a club for ourselves, too, because the natural thing is for people to put us against each other. And so you already approach that relationship. It, with that energy, right? So mm-hmm. it just has to be a little bit more intentional, I guess, to, to build the community. But yeah, I lean into it. I think that we learn so much. In fact, the the other day, one uh, uh, another female entrepreneur called me and asked me about someone who was offering her a deal, who had offered me a deal earlier too. And just because she did that simple thing, and we don't know each other, she actually messaged me on Instagram. We ended up having a conversation for hours that saved her a lot of time heartbreak and money um
0: yeah
1: just because of that simple act of reaching out so i i'm pro community i am a big champion of it uh but i do think it needs to be a little bit more intentional in when it comes to female founders than than i assume the men have to yeah
2: have to like yeah and i also think you know the re- the realization that the there is enough space at the table you know it's not a only one Female founder or one African female founder. There's enough space, and and you know by by making the circle bigger, you know that song. Yeah, <laughs> we actually collectively it can be so much better. And so I th- that's probably the other thing for other female founders or aspiring female founders to realize and recognize that there is strength in in numbers. There's a Definitely. lot of
1: strength in numbers. But and right now we're so few. Like when you think about the women who raised venture over the last year, I think Africans they're like six. Wow, really? Yeah, like out of all those deals, deals that have been published, six. It's it's an insane number like that. I may be wrong on the on the on the actual number, but it's something ridiculous like
0: that. Yeah,
1: no. it's minuscule. <laughs> yeah,
0: there's so much so, work
2: that needs to be done. So. Yeah, so yeah.
1: Uh, and there's a lot of room. There's a lot of room for all of us. So that's that's my perspective. And it's something that I work on actively, um, kind of making sure that there's a space for us.
0: Yeah, so everyone, please slide into Val's DMs. <laughs> and Africa's <this> focus
2: DMs. <laughs> <a laughs> please <special do>. collaboration.
0: <laughs> please
1: do.
2: I mean, I guess Val... Would love to hear from you. I guess for for our listeners, for kind of aspiring entrepreneurs, female but also male people looking at fintech. Um, what is your advice? Like, what are what are three things that you would give as advice that you've learned or you are carrying with you going forward that you think um, you know everybody who is looking to build. Um, a business, a venture in a business on the continent should be thinking about? Three things. Hmm. Or it can be five, but you know, the consultant says <laughs>
1: three. The consultant says rule of three. Um, let, me, let me stick with three. Um, so I think the first thing I would say is if you already know you want to start something, just start it. It takes so much longer than you expect and it is much harder than you expect so do it while you're young you know this is the youngest you'll ever be and start as soon as you can um and then hang in there so you know it's for me it's been transformative to do this uh, with a co-founder and with a group of people around me who are encouraging me because there are so many times when you're like man I should just go to work and get that paycheck, right? Because it is difficult. And there's a lot of times when you get stuck. And I think it's especially difficult when you know what the future can look like, but you cannot see what the next step is. So you see what a hundred miles away looks like, but you don't know what the next step is. That's usually for me the hardest. And in those moments, um, your community, and the people you surround yourself with are extremely important. So it's useful to pick those carefully. Um, the people that you share your journey with and the people who uh, keep you going. So that's the second thing. And I think the third thing that I would say, if you start with the wrong person at the beginning, man, I don't know how solo founders would do it. It is it is so difficult <laughs> to do this on, on your own, like power to those guys. And I understand why so many startups fail because the, the founders don't have the same vision so um, I would say spend an outside amount of time understanding the vision and making sure that people who come on board are aligned with that vision because that's your North Star. That's what keeps you going. Um, and if you find out down the line that you want different things, it can be pretty detrimental. So, yeah, I think I'd say those are the three things I would say. That's
0: perfect. That's Perfect. I love I love the metaphor of, of, a, of a north star. Actually, I think I'm gonna use it. I'm gonna steal that and use it going forward. <laughs>
2: yeah, that is great. Well, I guess I mean, yeah.
0: Well, from, from my lovely co-star Tatenda and I, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Yes, uh, we look forward to having you when you reach unicorn status back on the podcast.
2: Yeah, from your lips to
0: God's um, yeah. ears, girl. Amen, amen. And maybe you can throw some shares, like some, 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 some French shares, because you know we had you on the podcast when, when you were uh, your first few maybe, years. Maybe that's my third piece of advice: don't give out equity for free, man. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's a good. It, it, it's a good point. way you like this? I'm like I'm actually like trying to like. Her- Make a case for both of Wealth creation,
2: not wealth yeah. donation. Protect creation. your wow. equity. <laughs> I'm here for it, Val. We-, we must invest. We can't it's true. be asking for <laughs> I'll remember this, Tatenda.
0: I'll remember this.
2: <laughs> yeah
0: was no, seriously, thank you so much, Belle. Um, thank honestly, you so This her. has been such a lovely conversation. Thank you so much.
2: Yes, thank it you. It was
1: you. fantastic. A santeni. That means thank you for non-Sahili
2: speakers. <laughs> you are such an inspiration, Belle, and we are so excited to keep seeing what you're building um, and just, yeah, just a bigger, wide table of African wealth holders. Um, Yeah, we're just, we're excited, we're excited, excited, excited. Um, I love it. The Gist is creating new African narratives through disseminating key lessons and best practices from some of the continent's leading entrepreneurs and businesses.